Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to be back in the pulpit preaching the Word of God after having a couple weeks off. And uh, I just so look forward to this opportunity. And um, I really sense just a fresh uh, wind of the Spirit uh, among us. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a lot that I would, could share about leading up to that, but it's, uh, it's, it's just really good to be here. I want to thank the church for allowing us that, that opportunity to take some uh, time off. And we got our son Andrew settled in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, we dro- drove his second car down uh, so that they now have both their cars down in Florida. And it took us 14 hours to get down there, and it took us an hour and a half to get back uh, by plane. And uh, and that was that was uh, that was remarkable. That's before all of this craziness is going on with the airplane. Air, uh, air. Seventeen hundred flights canceled in three days. Uh, I don't know what's going on with all that, but I'm glad we we beat that uh, opportunity. And so we had a great time getting to know our two granddaughters, uh, Josie and and Harper, uh, while we were down there, spending a week and living with them for that week, and that was a lot of fun. Two small things occurred while, uh, to me, anyhow, while we were on that trip that helped me prepare for this sermon. And uh, God is like that. In fact, we were talking this morning, this, the Sunday school class is a, was a, is a great lead-in for this today. And it just is awesome how the Lord works in the midst of all of that. Well, the first, uh, the first uh, was a comment that our granddaughter, Josie, made that took us off guard. Because if you, if you remember, I, I just got Andrew back last year from California. We drove across the country and I got him back to Harmony. And then from Harmony, uh, then he got married and we moved him to Mars. Not the planet, but the, uh, uh, Mars PA here. And then Mars to Jacksonville, Florida. And no sooner were we unpacking, getting in, uh, Josie came up to us, our four-year-old granddaughter, and said, we're not going to live in Florida forever. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, tell me you're moving in, in four weeks or something. But then she finished her statement. She said, no, uh, Pap Pap, we're going to live in heaven forever. Oh, I was like, oh, my goodness. This little girl who did not know Christ a year ago is now proclaiming this truth out of the mouth of babes, right? And so secondly was the fact that I normally have a big pile of keys that I carry around. Anyway, you ever see me? I just have this big giant thing of keys and, you know, every key imaginable. And I don't know if you're like me, but you you kind of have to have certain keys. And usually the one you leave behind is the one you needed or whatever. And so I have this big pile of keys for the church door, for the, my office, for the for our house, uh, for the garage, for the church shed up here, for my our storage area, and then a, a truck and two cars. And and uh, then I have some keys I use infrequently, but the, I have to have them with me. My my mom, who passed away three years ago, still has a place in Sharpsburg. We haven't done anything with it yet, but I check on it now and again, and so I have to have that key. So, but you know this, you know how that is. You have this big pile of keys you're carrying and carrying it around. Well, on this trip. Fortunately, I only needed one key, and that was to get back into our house when we got back. Because my the other key was was uh, Andrew's car that he was going to keep, and I, I don't need his key, so I brought that down and gave it to him. So I had this one key <laughs> for a change in my pocket, and uh, and it, it was interesting because and our daughter was picking us up at the airport, so I didn't need a I didn't need a car key coming back. So anyhow, but I had this one key, and it was in, and it was in my pocket. And I didn't want to lose that one key, so it was always in my left pocket, and I would check it now and again, and um, and it would talk to me, um, not audibly, or I'd still I'd still be on vacation, um, 
but it would it would symbolically say you're not home. You know, you're on vacation. You're not. It's it's a reminder that this key is going to get back into our house, and uh, where, where you're at right now is not your home. So I'd reach for change, and I'd think, what is this? Oh, yeah, it's my one key uh, to get back into our house. So both the statement from Josie and the house key served well in preparation for this sermon, and I'll bring that home uh, real soon, um, those thoughts. And my hope is that you'll be impacted by these two truths as I was. And I hope that the two examples uh, will bring clarity to the instruction that we receive in Romans uh, chapter 13, because we must never forget that our permanent citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, we need to act accordingly. <laughs> we need to behave like we're just passing through and we have an eternal home and kingdom in heaven. Uh, because we, because as soon as we forget what our true home is and where our true citizenship lays, we lose purpose for living and hope for the future. Romans 13 is probably one of the most misunderstood portions of Scripture. In fact, two individuals, one on the Saturday night service and one in this service, uh, two of you have come to me and said, Pastor, what are you going to do when you get to Romans 13, the first seven verses? Are you going to skip over it <laughs> you know, in light of our government or you know, in submission to the government? My response is, and it's always the same, you know, let's see what the Holy Spirit brings to light uh, through these verses as, as, we, uh, as we go through them. Uh, because while I'm charged of preaching the word in season and out of season, it's the Holy Spirit's job to open our eyes to the truth and then apply them to our lives. And so that responsibility is not on my shoulders, but it is on uh, the Holy Spirit's shoulders, and he can handle it very easily. Let me open in a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Lord, I, again, I thank you for this opportunity uh, to preach your word. I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, and that your word would impact us in such a way that we would be changed, individuals having been here this morning. We would be full in full submission uh, for you to do your work in us. And so, Holy Spirit, uh, reveal to us the meaning and apply it to our lives in a meaningful way uh, that we would be lights for, uh, for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. If you've ever gone through um, bankruptcy, you probably don't want to hear chapter 13. Uh, but here we are. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be in subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For God, excuse me, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoing. 
Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of good conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And so if you've never looked at this portion of scripture before, and you, and I know many of you have, but if you've, you, if you just kind of just took it blindly, you, you might be led to believe, oh, are we supposed to just do everything that government says? And if that's your interpretation, that would be wrong. <laughs> Be careful not to insert your impression to Scripture. We have to approach Scripture carefully. First, remember uh, this also. The first part of Romans is the defense of the gospel and in preparation for the believer to get us nice and solid so that now these latter eight chapters, we can live out uh, the gospel in a meaningful way. The power of the Holy Spirit in in chapter 8 carries us through uh, these next eight, eight chapters. And so there are ways to work within the church and the body of Christ in verse in chapter 12, 13 now deals with a very sticky issue, and that is one with government and how to go about that. Uh, two, two truths that I want us to, to keep in mind, there are many when you're approaching Scripture, ways to uh, exegete, which means to uncover the truth of God's Word. And the, these two principles I want us to think about today because when you're approaching Scripture, you want to look at the context of Scripture according to the whole, all the Scripture, all the surrounding Scripture. You can't just take one portion of Scripture and establish a truth. You have to look at it and balance with the other Scripture. Always look at Scripture as a whole when interpreting it. Um, in other words, are there any other portions of Scripture that talk about submitting to the government and men and women that did or didn't? And that leads to the second one. You look for godly examples. How did how did the saints, how did the, the great people of faith that are proclaimed in Scripture, how did they handle uh, interaction with the government? Like, how what did they do? Were there times when they uh, obeyed the demands and were there times they ignored the demands? And so... We're going to look at today's text with those two things in mind because we got to, you got to keep that in perspective. First of all, I want to say this. I, I firmly believe that the Apostle Paul here is making a general statement about governments in general when governments are for the, the general interest of all people, uh, such as not allowing lawlessness to take over the streets, murder, rape, theft, you know, all those things that we, that will be in agreement with what we believe in Scripture, uh, there has to be some order to society, and God knows that. And God ordained governments to be there to uh, set in place to manage people. And Paul is saying, generally speaking, the Christian should shine uh, when interacting with government. We're not the ones that should be doing uh, prison time for these horrible behaviors. And so, we're, we, uh, when we live out the Christian life, you will you will not have to fear government. And so the first thing I want us to understand, understanding our relationship with government, is that God ordained the existence of governments. And we went over that today in Sunday school, and it was a great opportunity. But we see it here again in in verse 1, and I'll put it up here. Let every person be subject to governing authority. Why? For there is no authority except from God, 
And those that exist have been instituted by who? By God. Okay? But he's the old, he, God is the authority. And, uh, and even government is in submission, uh, to God. It's, it's kind of interesting, and we read this in, in our Sunday school class, but this is, uh, uh, an interaction that Jesus had with Pilate, if you remember. Pilate uh, is questioning Jesus, and Jesus isn't doing real well in answering the questions because he doesn't have to. And Pilate said to him, You would not speak to me? Do you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to have you crucified? And Jesus, without flinching, that didn't, that didn't rattle him at all. <laughs> And it was almost like, and he didn't say this, not in the scripture, it's my interpretation, but correction. Like, here's what he said. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. <laughs> and just, just as a point of clarification for Pilate, you're not the big man. You know, you're not the one that's in charge of all. God is king. And... uh and you don't have any authority unless, unless God the Father gives you that authority. If I'm to be crucified, it's because it's the will of, of God the Father. So, uh, I mean, that's just a, a good example of that authority. I don't want anyone to read into the sermon that every government is good or godly. In fact, there is only one true authority, and that is from God. And so the application for us is... If, if government acts as instituted by God, the believer should submit. What happens when government does not act as God instituted it? Well, don't get yourself too rattled because God himself judges governments for their injustices. So before you jump in to help him, know that he can handle governments himself. Why do I say that? Well, Psalm 110, verse 6 says, He will judge the nations. Hmm, how? He, he, he brings forth, when they are wrong, what, what does he do? It says, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Do you think God can handle injustices? Well, he can. That's pretty nasty language, but... Um, it's just a way of showing that he's in full control and he will deal with those who are unjust. Secondly, if you resist government authorities, you're going to pay a price. That's just a matter of fact. We see that in verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And that's simply put... Um, we need to realize that there will be times when you must willingly pay a price. It's not saying not uh, to resist the governing authority, but it says when that happens, when you are against the government, you're going to pay a penalty from the government that um, that he'll, that will bring to bear on you. It doesn't. Again, there are times when we will willingly incur incur a penalty uh, of government. It's interesting, uh, Francis Schaeffer, if many of you probably read the Christian Manifesto uh, that he wrote back in 1981, uh, two paragraphs, and I just put this as, a, as food for thought, because, uh, and again, this is uh, Schaeffer's, um, not Chuck Schaeffer's, but Francis Schaeffer's uh, comments. He said, the civil government 
as all of life, stands under the law of God. So he says, you know, the law, the law of God's above man's interpretation. In this fallen world, God has given us certain offices to protect us from chaos, which is the natural result of the fallenness. But when any office commands that which is contrary to the word of God, those who hold that office abrogate their authority and they are not to be obeyed. And that includes the state. Strong statement, right? Another paragraph that I pulled out of that manifesto is this. God has ordained the state as delegated authority. It is not autonomous. You know, it's connect, it should be connected to uh, and underneath in submission to God. The state is to be an agent of justice by punishing the wrongdoer and to protect the good in society. When it, when it does the reverse, which I think some of you are probably squirming now, thinking, well, that's going on right now. When it does the reverse, it has no proper authority. It is then uh, the usurped authority and as such, it becomes lawless and a tyranny. Wow. Strong statements by Francis Schaeffer. So I just say this. Discernment is needed. Is the government consistent with God's authority? We will pay the price at times for disobeying government when it conflicts with the word of God. And we see that in Scripture. Verse, or not verse 3, but point number 3 is... Christians should be law-abiding citizens. And not like the movie, law-abiding citizen. But Christians should be law-abiding citizens. And why? Verses 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Well, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Again, when government is acting in the best interest of society and for those laws that are consistent with God's law, the believer should abide by those laws. The Christian, once again, should stand out as a model citizen and shine for Christ. And so the application there for us is to live in such a way where people will see the light of Christ in us. We, we're, we're good people. We, in other words, uh, you don't, you're not going to steal. And, and by the way, there are laws of God that it might be legal in a governmental sense, but they're sinful in God's eyes. And so maybe you don't get drunk, you don't get high, you don't do, you know, you don't hurt others, you don't sexually harass or assault. You drive within the parameters. I tell my wife that because I say, you know, the law allows a little leniency more than she does. You know, 35, you're going 36, huh? You know, like, she's not here today, so I can say that. Um, but uh, she says, well, you're going to have the uh, wrath of God come upon you. Uh, I said, your wrath sometimes seems worse, but... Uh, <laughs> anyhow, but we want to be those citizens who are living... Uh, a life that people look at and it reflects, you know, Christ. Fourth, avoid lawlessness and you'll have a clear conscience. Look at verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, 
not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of a good conscience. You know, when, when, when the laws of the land are in agreement with the laws of God, Christians, we must submit. Uh, not submitting to God-honoring laws is to place yourself under the wrath of God. And by the way, your sin will find you out. And you won't be able to sleep well. <laughs> and it, it kind of reminds me, when I was thinking about this, and sometimes I think about weird things, but remember Edgar Allan Poe, his uh, telltale heart, he kills the guy, he buries him in the floorboards, and uh, I said, why are you sharing this on a Sunday morning? <laughs> but, you know, the inspector comes, and he's like uh, talking to him, and he hears the beating heart of this guy that he killed and buried in the floorboards, and he doesn't really hear it, but his conscience can't let him. And it's, you know, it gets louder and louder, and finally he tears up the boards, and here's the guy that I killed, blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, I didn't really do that justice, but you understand, when you do what is wrong, it just bugs you and bugs you. And, and for the believer, that's the Holy Spirit's work on you. You need to get this right. You need to turn from sin. You need to repent. You need to confess. You need to come clean. And, uh, and so the Scripture says here, you know, be in subjection, not only for God's, you know, to avoid God's wrath, but so that you can lay your head down on your pillow at night and you can sleep in peace saying, I, you know, I've done everything that I know to be right. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. Why should we live in fear? And so the application is we need to live in complete freedom with a clear conscience. And why, how do we do that? Well, we just do the right thing, right? Do what is right. And then finally, pay your taxes and debts and respect those in authority. Verses 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. And so this is why the word of God deals with and talks about so much stewardship of his money. There is a testimony, men and women, that we carry with us and it's and it can be good or we can be bad depending on how your stewardship of God's money is. And this is the lesson that I have learned late in life. <laughs> And, uh, and it has been a powerful one for me. There are many who get behind in their taxes because of poor stewardship. And they end up um, being, uh, being disgraceful as a believer. Now, again, I'm not talking about those who fall upon hard times or issues that come into your life. And there are people, um, because of circumstances, uh, are, are uh, unable to pay taxes and, and do this or that. I'm not talking, referring to that. You know when it is sin and you know when it is not. God's word is telling us to, to make sure we take that stewardship seriously. And if you're in debt, to pay that debt. If you are owing a taxes, to pay those taxes. Now, uh, the application really is do not disgrace the name of Christ by bringing dishonor to his name through your lack of paying or fulfilling certain obligations. If, you ha if you're struggling in that area, by the way, um, uh, talk to me and some of the other elders, and we might be able to funnel you to good help resources um, uh, for this uh, very area. And so 
um, get help soon. Don't continue to struggle or go down the wrong path in this. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're sitting there and you're thinking this, and I can hear you thinking. You're saying, what do you do when you're under a government that is taking that money and then mismanaging it? When is it, when it, when government makes promises, for example, of endlessly paying out all kind of stimulus checks and unemployment benefits and funds programs that go against your morals? Well, let me remind us once again, it is up to God to judge the nations, and I believe, and this is a firm belief of mine, that we're going to see a correction real soon. Um, within the United States. Our nation is beyond the tipping point financially for what we're doing and our indebtedness to other nations. And the, the devalue of the dollar and, and the, the type of currency that the world might shift to, it is, it's, it's uh, troubling. Let me put it that way. But the bottom line is, why is it <laughs> that Christians are so conflicted when it comes to government? What is it that bugs us so much that this is a constant challenge? You, you want to submit to the government, but then you see government doing this or that or making laws, and what's wrong seems right, and what's right seems wrong, and, 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 you, and you're really frustrated. What is it that causes that frustration? Well, I have an answer for that this morning. Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 21. Remember the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus to get him a chance, to get a chance to arrest him. And so they wanted him to say the wrong thing. And so in verse 15, it starts off by saying the Pharisees went out and they laid, laid plans to trap him in his words. They're going to try to trip up Jesus. Yeah, good luck with that. Verse 16. Then they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, and they said, and I just see how, how puffed up they are and when they're asking this, and it's, and it's, they're not serious in their questions, but teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. You're not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then. What is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <laughs> now, that's a political and religious charged question because it's, it's like no matter what you say is going to be wrong or upset one group or the other. But Jesus, knowing their intent, says this, and his first words are this, you hypocrites. <laughs> Why are you trying to trap me? Show me one of the coins that you use to pay taxes. So they're fumbling among themselves, and they brought him a denarius. And he asked him, whose portrait is this? Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription is around that portrait? Caesar's. Then he responds with this. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. You know, often people remember the first part of his statement, render under Caesar what is Caesar. They ought to pay your taxes. 
But a lot of people forget that second part and give to God what is God's. You see, the unique challenge for the Christian is we have a dual citizenship. One that is temporary and one that is eternal. A permanent address. And Jesus knew this. And rather than, rather matter of factly, He says, yeah, give to Caesar his due, but make sure you give to the Father, the Heavenly Father, what is his. And I have to go back to my original example. My granddaughter hit the nail on the head when she said, we're not going to live in Florida forever. We're going to live in heaven forever. That, men and women, if you have trusted Jesus Christ, is your address. That's where you're going. That's where you'll be eternally. And so for a little while, we have a first obligation uh, to, to God and, and forever moving forward, but subordinately also to the authorities that God has put in place here on earth. Who understood that better than the, than the early saints, right? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. All those great people in the, in the uh, faith hall of fame. It says all these people were still living by faith when they died. They were trusting in something that we're going to hear about. They did not receive the things promised yet. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. This isn't their home. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And some people say, well, they were talking about where they came from. And he says, no. He says, if they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they're longing for a better country. What kind? A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And there's our answer, men and women, because we struggle at times with obedience to the government because sometimes it conflicts with our eternal company, country, excuse me, the country we long for, the city that God has prepared for us. And so, yes, we honor the government, but in reality, we are aliens, we are pilgrims passing through. And so we submit first and foremost to God, our king. And we must never forget this. We often get discouraged by what's happening among, uh, around us. We see society falling apart at the seams. That's when we need to reach down into our pockets and find our house key. And be reminded that this isn't where we're going to live forever. We must never forget that our permanent citizenship is in heaven. And therefore, we need to act accordingly. I have something for you this morning. I'm going to ask John Farrow and uh, Jim to pass these out. Now, this isn't the key to heaven, but it's to remind you... uh, that our residence is in heaven. What's the key to heaven? Jesus Christ. That's the key. <laughs> so don't, don't mistake this key, which 
By the way, don't run to uh, treasure hunt with this because it's, it's not really a gold key. But I have this key for you this, this morning, and uh, it's just a, a symbol, a true key, uh, obviously, to heaven is Jesus Christ. But I'm just going to ask you, you might want to put this in your pocket to remind you throughout your week, or place it where you're going to see it. Maybe put it on the bathroom vanity where you shave, or put it on the kitchen window where you do dishes each day and you're looking out and just have this key. Just as a reminder that whatever happens in the future, whatever decisions that you're torn over when it comes down to government country (laughs) of this country or the city of God, remember your first loyalty and then do what is right. And and just in our final moments here, I just have a couple questions for us that we can just interact with. We're a small enough group that... Do we find in Scripture godly people who disobey government? If so, why? Anybody in Scripture ever do the opposite of the law of the land? And who might that be? And if you're in Pastor Jim's class, then you better get this right. Um, Anybody? Just holler out. Daniel? What did he do? He prayed, right? Against the law. And he prayed. Why? (laughs) He submitted to a greater law. Anybody else in Scripture? By the way, there's a lot. His buddy, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. Yes, all. Not not going to bow down and uh, pay the price for that. Um, But God saw them through that, right? But even in the New Testament, you see the Apostle Paul when they preached and, and the disciples and, you know, we commanded you not to preach. And they said, ah, there's a greater law, greater law. And so there's a balance that, that we have, right? Secondly, the question is, uh, how will you determine your response to governmental orders that conflict with your conscience? Like, what are you going to use as a gauge? Like, whether you're going to do this or not do that. What do you use? And by the way, some of this is different. Some of that stuff gets interesting, and and we just got to honor one another as believers because you feel led to do something or not to do something. And if you if it's a conviction of yours, that's before the Lord. Um, and we don't judge each other. Let's let God do that. But yes, Chuck. Uh, prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Prayer and the leading of the Holy Spirit. The word, definitely. How do you know if it conflicts with the, with God's law? Well, you got to look. You got to know God's law. So you got to be familiar with Scripture. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Let me have a word of prayer and 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 closing. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. And um, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd bring clarity to all of this. And yes, we are conflicted at times, very challenged at times, Lord, by the laws that are being written and passed and and decisions that are being made. But Lord, we submit to you. And we pray where where the law does agree with you that we would rightfully so be in submission to that. Help us in these difficult days ahead of us, Lord, where the government's 
of, uh, of all nations uh, will uh, gather against you. And I pray that we would stand strong by your grace and uh, we would do what it is that is right before your eyes. And so we just commit that to you, Lord. Thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.